Welcome to the Simple Sunday Reflections Podcast, a place where we briefly noodle on deeper issues. I'm your host, Bob Nice. Today we ask the question, is casual sex even possible? Before we start, here's a warning. Although this episode avoids anything particularly explicit, it does contain content that some folks might find uncomfortable or may feel is inappropriate for some family members. I put this episode together with a bit of hesitation, as sex can be a touchy subject for some people, so maybe it's best to kick it off with an attempt to articulate what I mean by casual sex and offer a couple of other clarifying comments. By casual sex, I roughly mean engaging in sex purely for pleasure, with no expectation of creating any emotional attachments. I suppose this definition means that casual sex could encompass more than what used to be called a one-night stand and include a, quote, friends with benefits situation, although in the latter there would probably be pre-existing emotional, albeit mostly platonic, ties. For our discussion, I am assuming that the folks who are participating in casual sex have no ill will toward their partners. Specifically, I'm assuming that they believe that engaging in sex, casual or not, with an unwilling partner is something to be avoided. To be clear, I don't personally think that there is anything morally objectionable to casual sex per se. This post isn't a camouflaged rant against having sex for fun, doing it with someone you don't know, or anything of the like. And if something I have presented here seems inaccurate or slanted, please let me know. My goal here is to ponder whether there is a built-in conundrum to casual sex. Specifically, I wonder whether the more casual the sex, the more incumbent it is upon its participants to get to know each other a bit better before engaging in it and thereby diminishing to a degree its casual nature. The argument I'm going to make here rests on three main assertions, poke a hole in any of them, and the argument loses steam. So, let's dive in. Point number one, when it comes to casual sex, the cost of getting things wrong is high. There is no deep, pre-existing reason to think that casual sex, that is, again, having sex purely for pleasure, with no expectation of creating any emotional attachments, is inherently wrong. Done right, sex can be incredibly pleasurable for everyone involved. However, although sex can be taken lightly, violations of sexual boundaries are almost never taken lightly. Cutting in front of someone in line or not cleaning up after yourself in the kitchen at work is lousy behavior. But forcing someone to have sex is more than just lousy behavior, it's rape. And when it comes to average time served following conviction for a violent crime, rape comes in second only to murder. And obviously, it's not just the use of physical force that violates a sexual boundary. Pressuring a potential partner, threatening them with economic harm, or leveraging a power differential could all cause someone to engage in sex that they'd rather not have. I believe that, as a society, we view the use of these tactics more negatively when they are used in an attempt to persuade someone to have sex. Anyway, the fact that we treat violations of sexual boundaries so sternly is a reminder of how wrong we feel those violations are. Although consensual sex is, by definition, not too serious, non-consensual sex is precisely the opposite. All of this means that it's crucial to correctly assess whether the person you're about to have casual sex with is consenting. Which brings us to the second point. Point number two, if you think predicting the weather is tricky, try predicting someone else's sexual boundaries. Sexual boundaries are highly variable, they differ among people, and they differ over time and across settings for any individual. This means that it is exceptionally difficult, if not impossible, to accurately predict a potential partner's interest and willingness to have sex. In fact, it's difficult enough for the people participating in casual sex to predict how they themselves will feel after their encounter. A recent study found that about one in three women and one in five men regretted their most recent one-night stand. Imagine, for example, a partner who really enjoys making out, but draws a hard line there with people she doesn't know. A person who doesn't realize that's the boundary might very well push to go further. In short, the difficulty we have in predicting something so important, 
the sexual boundaries of a person we don't know implies a need for explicit communication prior to, or at a minimum during, casual sex. Point number three, intimate things are sometimes hard to share. For various reasons, some people may have a difficult time articulating clearly what their boundaries are, both prior to and during sex. This could be due to a power differential, sense of shame, fear of rejection, wanting to fit in, or simply because such a discussion is awkward or feels somewhat unnatural. My point here is that it is at least plausible that some people might find that sharing what their sexual boundaries are is more intimate than engaging in activities that are within those boundaries. A man, for example, might feel more uncomfortable explaining why he doesn't enjoy one aspect of sex than actually engaging in that aspect of sex. Although this may seem like a stretch, I think that it's possible, and that it's more likely to occur among people who don't know each other very well. A more complicating factor is that some people may not have come to grips with past violations of their own sexual boundaries. The Me Too movement not only made it easier for women to speak publicly about past instances of sexual assault, but it also allowed some women to recognize privately what they'd been through and gain more clarity about, or even tighten, their own sexual boundaries. Together, points 1 and 2 imply that although sex itself can be casual, light, fun, without any expectation of a deepening relationship, taking the need for clear communication lightly is risky business. Sex can be successfully taken lightly. Communication to ensure this works probably shouldn't be taken so lightly. Throw in point 3, and we begin to see how complicated casual sex, done properly, can be. Creating a setting in which potential sex partners are comfortable recognizing and articulating their sexual boundaries may require substantial trust, and such a level of trust may hinge on a degree of interpersonal commitment that goes far beyond the idea of casual sex. If all of this seems a bit abstract or sterile, consider the encounter between comedian and actor Aziz Ansari and an unnamed woman who used the pseudonym Grace in a Babe.net article recounting their evening. Briefly, Ansari invited Grace, a woman that he didn't know well, to his apartment. They engaged, on and off, in kissing, touching, and oral sex. The woman reported that during the encounter she tried to slow things down or stop Ansari, but that he was insistent. She eventually told him to stop, he relented, and she left his apartment. Later, the woman texted Ansari to tell him that she was uncomfortable with what had happened. He replied with an apology. This encounter became a mirror of sorts, in which people's attitudes about sexual boundaries and how to handle casual sex emerged. Here's how Wikipedia describes the reaction to the Babe.net article and the encounter itself. Media critic Allison Davis, who later interviewed the article's author, Katie Way, called the Babe.net article, quote, some combination of as told to and reported peace and mourning after group chat gossip, saying that it became a, quote, flashpoint of discussion about hashtag MeToo. There was disagreement in media commentary as to whether the incident described in the Babe article constituted sexual misconduct. Some agreed with Ansari, who stated that the encounter by all indications was completely consensual, while others stated that his actions were misogynistic, lacked affirmative consent, and spoke to a larger culture of harmful male expectations. Others say that Ansari's actions did not constitute sexual misconduct and that his accuser's narrative trivializes the Me Too movement against forms of sexual abuse. For The Atlantic, James Hamblin wrote that these, quote, stories of gray areas are exactly what need to be told and discussed. Hamblin went on to say that, quote, even Ansari, the semi-ironic expert who authored a book on interpersonal communication, was seeing something totally different from his date, Grace, who felt coerced. My point here is not to make a judgment about whether Ansari's behavior rose to the level of sexual harassment, or whether Grace was clear enough about her boundaries early enough in their evening together. Instead, my point is that no matter how you personally see this situation, one thing is clear, someone else will likely see it very differently. This, I believe, is the fundamentally tricky part of casual sex, to ensure that everyone is totally fine with what is happening. 
those engaging in it probably need to build enough trust between them to allow an explicit discussion of boundaries. In short, it seems to me that this level of trust construction and the communication that needs to follow is not at all casual. I don't want to give the impression that being in a meaningful, committed relationship with someone is the solution to this conundrum. Obviously, being in a relationship does not guarantee that sexual boundaries will be respected. It turns out, for example, that many women consent to sex that they don't want, and that generally happens within the context of an existing, quote, non-casual relationship. They do this for a variety of reasons, including fear that their partner will lose interest in them if they don't have sex, a desire to avoid verbal haranguing from their partner, and a belief that compliance with their partner's sexual request is an obligation of their relationship. Clearly, being in a relationship with someone doesn't avoid the challenges of navigating sexual boundaries. Perhaps if Americans didn't have such deeply rooted hang-ups about sex, being in touch with one's sexual boundaries in real time and clearly articulating them to potential partners wouldn't be so difficult. But we have a long way to go, I think. In a study of male-female hookups among college students, for example, men were asked who initiated the sexual activity, 38% said they did, 30% said the woman did, with the rest being attributed to both partners. But women's recollections were quite different. 58% of them said the man initiated the activity, and only 13% said they did. In explaining this gap, the researchers said, quote, We suspect that women are reluctant to initiate or to claim doing so in hookups because of the double standard of sexuality, that is, because women are judged more harshly for engaging in casual sex than men are. Anyway, if we were able to unburden ourselves of our sexual hang-ups and stigma, it's at least possible that both the sex and the check-in to ensure consent could be more casual. Baked in regressive cultural norms about sex may very well be getting in the way of a lot of healthy fun. If this is the case, and I think there is a hefty dose of truth here, then it should be addressed. But culture changes slowly and in mysterious ways. And until we all get to the point in which talking personally about sex and our personal boundaries is as easy and shameless as talking about what movies we like or don't like, engaging in meaningless sex without meaningful communication is risky business. Along with each reflection, I try to give an honest assessment of the material I've presented and how well any argument I've made is likely to hold up. I'm giving myself a grade of C on this episode. Here's why. My argument largely rests on a series of interlocking assertions that violation of sexual boundaries is a serious matter, that communication is a prerequisite to ensure that such boundaries are respected, and that such communication requires a level of trust not likely to exist between people who don't know each other well. I think these assertions are relatively solid, although I am not sure that I could prove them in an airtight manner to a skeptic. The weak point in my argument is that some people will be willing to taking a chance of accidentally violating a partner's sexual boundaries, or may feel that a straightforward statement such as, just tell me if I am doing something that makes you uncomfortable is adequate to inoculate against an accusation of crossing a line. I don't fully disagree, but I am aware of the possibility that some partners may not yet be aware of their own boundaries. That's a thought that makes me skittish, but understandably might not resonate with other well-meaning people. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Simple Sunday Reflections podcast. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, or suggestions, please send me an email. The email address is simplesunday, all one word, at thatradioshow.com. Again, that's simplesunday at thatradioshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving it a review wherever you get your podcast that will help other people discover us. And please subscribe to the podcast that helps get the word out too. If you prefer to read these reflections, you'll find us over at Substack. The link is in the show notes or you can just search there for Simple Sunday. Simple Sunday Reflections is a no-mic-needed production and our podcast is a member of the That Radio Show Network. 
Again, thanks for listening. We'll get together soon for another episode. Until then, be well.